every other year, the Union for Reform Judaism, it holds a biennial convention. Anybody been to biennial? Show him. Oh, okay, okay. Well, we got to send more folks. It's, it's truly, it's just not to be believed. Alan will fill you in later. Um, but this year, uh, just a few weeks back, um, biennial was held in my hometown of Chicago. Now, anyone who has ever been on a business conference in your city of origin, you know full well the benefits and the pitfalls of such an arrangement. Now, my parents are in the burbs, and so the first two nights were spent in my old hood, in my old room, with my parents shuffling around downstairs just as if time were standing still. Of course, Shira was with me, so there have been a few developments since my teenage years, but you get the drift. Some other developments uh, that are probably more jarring for me, uh, more so than for my brother, who's still in Chicago and he sees my parents regularly. Uh, these developments are that my father, he doesn't get around so well these days. Really on any surface that isn't ruler flat and paved and finished. And my mother's memory is not what it once was, but since I'm standing here under the commandments over our ark, I want to plead the fifth commandment and be very mindful of the directive to honor your father and your mother so I, I won't prattle on about the indignities of, of aging, as it were. Suffice to say, it was an amazing conference, and even, even though the trip home was a bit fraught, it was an important homecoming for me and for my parents. In our Torah portion this week, Vayigash, Joseph is reunited with his father after decades of deception and detachment. It's a homecoming of sorts, although in the Torah's case, the father leaves his home to come live in a foreign land with his long-lost son. Now, a few weeks ago, we learned just how damaging sibling relationships can be, especially if parents play favorites. More often than not, our Torah gives us bad examples of human behavior from which we might learn. But this week, in the dramatic reunion of Joseph and his father, Jacob, we learn about the truly important things in life. Family ties still bind, no matter how far flung the family. <clears throat> and the Joseph story, it couldn't be more dramatic why do you think Andrew Lloyd Webber's musical was such an instant hit? <clears throat> uh, but the, the Joseph story is a classic riches to rags to riches success story in the face of overwhelming odds and near death. And it's a tale of wandering fortunes and wandering peoples. Let's remember that Jacob and the brothers live in Canaan which at the time is the not-so-promised land. There's a severe famine which forces the brothers to seek provisions from the prescient superpower to the south, namely Egypt, which had the foresight, thanks to Joseph's fortune-telling precision, to store away food for the lean years. And this week, when Joseph does the big reveal and tells his brothers who he really is, his only thoughts are of his father. What does he say? Joseph says to his brothers, it's me, it's me, Joseph. Is our father still alive? And like son, like father, when the brothers come back to fetch Jacob, they report, they tell their father, Joseph is alive. 
brothers relate their harrowing tale, but Jacob's only response and his only thoughts are about the son he thought he'd lost long ago. By Yomer Yisrael, Rav od Yosef benichai. Here is where our translation utterly fails us. I won't give you the page number in the plow, but if you turn to that page, the translation authoritatively puts these words in Jacob's mouth. Quote, enough, exclamation point. My son Joseph is alive, exclamation point. The translation and the emotion conveyed are utterly wrong, and I don't often say that, especially given the vagaries of translation. This translation imbues Jacob with an indignant strength when the Hebrew really conveys the opposite. He's vulnerable and emotional. I'll try my hand at it. Rav od Yosef. It, it's too much for me. It's overwhelming for me to hear that my son is still alive. It's as if the realization also carries the weight of too many years lost in ignorance and estrangement. Jacob has been living in the old country blissfully ignorant that his favorite son went on to greatness in Egypt. And in that single response, Rav od Yosef benichai, He's overcome by lost hopes and lost time. In biblical times, travel was slow, and communication over distances was difficult, if not impossible. But the message got through. Joseph was still alive and could provide for the family in Egypt. And Jacob doesn't hesitate. He sets out for Egypt in due haste. Now, times have changed, but family dynamics do not. I didn't move down to Egypt after meeting and marrying Shira, but I moved to another land of plenty, the fabled town of Westport. And not that Chicago is the land of Canaan, but it's my ancestral home, and I left my home for the opportunities of the East Coast. How many of us leave the nest to find our fortunes elsewhere? And how do we approach the moment of reckoning when we face the difficult choice of moving closer to an aging parent or perhaps moving a parent closer to us? Either because of oppressive hunger or a genuine desire to make up for lost time, Jacob springs to action. He heads down to reunite with his son, Joseph. Along the way, Jacob has another dreamlike encounter with God. God calls out in a vision, Jacob, Jacob. And Jacob utters the coded response, Hineni, I'm here. I'm here to do whatever it is you ask without preconditions. God reassures Jacob that he should continue down to Egypt and not to worry because the Israelites will become a great nation and ultimately Jacob will be returned to the promised land. Moreover, God promises that Joseph himself will place his hand over Jacob's eyes when his time has come. A reassuring thought for any parent in his or her golden years. This is the true gift of our Torah portion. Not the wagons, not the silver and the land that Joseph gives the brothers to sweeten the deal. Joseph and Jacob reveal the only thing of true value and import in their first words to the brothers. Is my father still alive? And I'm overwhelmed to hear that my son is still alive. And the desire to live near each other again is so strong that it doesn't matter if they're in the promised land or not. 
As Billy Joel wisely sang, wherever we're together, that's my home. This is a message that blares out from the parchment of the Torah in these first days of 2020, louder and as relevant as ever. I gave my parents an Amazon device with a screen so that we can drop in on our respective kitchens any time of day. Be careful what you wish for. <laughs> but it's so simple that my five-year-olds can do it by themselves. And my parents say that it's the greatest gift we ever got them. And in a certain way, technology has brought us closer together than ever. But to imply that a five-inch window into my parents' world in Chicago or our kitchen in Westport could somehow replace a hug, a kiss, or as my father would say, a pachentuchus, <laughs> dismisses the very thing that humans have required since the age of humanity, physical contact and affection, direct physical contact. I can't smell my mother's kitchen soup through our video chat any more than our boys can feel my father's fingers as he reaches for the tickle bone. But I also can't force my parents to uproot themselves and move if they don't feel the need and desire themselves. I've heard God's imperative call, Daniel, Daniel. And in my coded response, he named me. God understands that I'm here means I'm here. This is my home. And what do I do when Hineni seems to be in direct conflict with the fifth commandment? That, my friends, is something they don't teach us in rabbinic school. Shabbat shalom.